listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. How are you? I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. If you're visiting with us for the first time today, we have finished a long journey through the Gospel of John. For the balance of the year, we're going to do some, just some standalone passages, and then, Lord willing, at the beginning, sometime near the beginning of next year, we're going to begin a trek through the New Testament letter of Hebrews. But for this morning, I want you to find Psalm 107, which is a psalm of thanksgiving, which I think is appropriate for us to think about on this Thanksgiving weekend. And as you're finding Psalm 107, as an introduction to Psalm 107, and why I want us to think about what Psalm 107 has for us, I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2. You can just keep yourself in Psalm 107. We'll have Philippians 2 up on the screen. And let me read to you what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 17, or yeah. Listen to what he says there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in other words, salvation takes, or sanctification, the process of living for God, working it out, takes work, even though we're saved by grace and not by works. Once we've been made alive, now we are enabled to put forth effort into this life. And here's what he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So Paul says, listen, Part of being a Christian is living in such a way in a crooked world that we shine as lights. And part of the primary ways we do that is to not complain and grumble and be sarcastic and cynical about the world, but to be optimistic and to orient our lives towards God in thankfulness and to give Him praise. And so I want us to think about that on this this Thanksgiving weekend. So to do that, I think the most appropriate place for us to go is Psalm 107. So as you're finding Psalm 107, let me just say, uh, children, I want to address you for a moment. So if you are old enough to understand English and you can hear me right now, listen to me. If you're screaming, that's okay, and you don't yet speak English, that's okay. But if you are old enough to understand English, I'm really glad you're here. You're old enough to pay attention and you're old enough for the Lord to speak to you. So I want you, boys and girls, to do your best, to pay attention, to listen. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit longer than you might maybe used to in kids' church, but that's okay. It's good for you. Pay attention. If you have questions about the sermon this morning or about the scriptures that we read, ask your mom or dad. And I would love to talk to you after service if you have something that you want to tell me that you learned today, I would love for you to come up to me after church and tell me. So with that, 
Let's turn our attention to Psalm 107. Now here's what this psalm is all about. It's about giving thanks unto the Lord. And to work our way through this psalm, I have three divisions. So I'm going to give them to you up front so you know where we're going. The, I think this breaks down nicely into three parts. The first is the purpose of thankfulness. The second part, the middle part, is portraits of thankfulness. You see where I'm going here. And then the fifth part is pondering thankfulness. Now, you know, if you've been around Crosspoint, that I rarely alliterate. So if that causes you to rejoice, you're welcome. If it causes you to think it's a little cheesy, you'll get over it. You'll be okay. I want us to think about this text in terms of thankfulness, the purpose of thankfulness, four portraits of thankfulness, and then pondering thankfulness and why we should be thankful. So let me read verses 1 through 3. First, but before I do that, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the great calling that you give us to live as lights in a complaining, grumbling, lost world. So that through our joy, through the process of us working out our salvation, amidst a crooked generation, you might use us, even our thankfulness, even our posture, even our fight for joy, to be a means of evangelism in this lost world. Lord, help us as we look at this text to see the gospel, to see Christ, to see what you have done for your people, and to leave this sanctuary, this worship service more like Jesus. And for my friends that do not know you, Lord, I pray that you would give them a new heart so that they would have the ultimate reason for thankfulness this morning, the grace of the gospel. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the first three verses, the purpose for thankfulness. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So here in just these first three verses, in fact, I think this really encapsulates the whole purpose of what the psalmist is saying. He's telling us that the people of God should give thanks to Him. But it's not a kind of ambiguous thanks. That's how our culture celebrates and promotes thanksgiving. Really, it's just a kind of general, ambiguous thanks to just kind of whatever you are thankful for. But thankfulness just sort of offered up into the thin air that isn't directed towards the God of the universe is really wasted thankfulness. And the psalmist here is saying that we should give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He is good. James tells us that He is the giver of all that is good. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So we know that we can be thankful to Him because He's good. Think about everything good in your life, everything good that you enjoy, even the breath that right now is flowing in and out of our lungs is from God. But He goes on and He qualifies it even more. Not just that He's generally good, but He's more specific. He says that we should be thankful for His steadfast love, which endures forever. Now this this phrase, steadfast love, is a constant theme, not only in the Psalms, but in all of the Old Testament. It's this wonderful Hebrew word. It's spelled H in English. It's, a, it's spelled H-E-S-E-D, hesed. But if you're pronouncing it 
in Hebrew, you have to pretend like you're a character and fiddler in the roof, and you have to say chesed. You know, you have to go deep from down in. Chesed. It's this steadfast love. It's this covenantal love that the Bible talks about, that God has for His people. It's not just mere love, like love between two people. I love you, and in return you love me, and we have this kind of love based on our mutual love for one another. But think of it more this way. It's a, it's a strictly, in a sense, one-way love. It's, it's a love, this has said, this steadfast covenantal love, is a love not based on anything in the one that is loved, but in the character and the promise and the nature of the one doing the loving, which is God. This is how the Bible speaks of this love in the Old Testament. Here's a picture of it. Here's how this steadfast love works itself out in the nation of Israel and God's love. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. God speaking here, and he says to Israel, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So do you see the the foundation of God's love for Israel? It's not because there was anything lovable in Israel, but it's based on God's unconditional love for his people. So God is basically saying, I loved you because I loved you, nothing else, and because I'm keeping the oath that I made to your forefathers, so my love for you is based on my free love for you and my allegiance to my character, which is I'm good for my word. And so that's steadfast love. We see this not only in the Old Testament, God's specific love for the nation of Israel, but in the New Testament for God's love for spiritual Israel, which is the church, the people of God. Listen to what Paul says about salvation, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. And notice where Paul is grounding the motivation or the reason for God's love for us in Christ. He says, after the first three verses, which I won't read, where Paul basically says, look, we're dead in our sins, unable to do anything to save ourselves. But verse 4, Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, that's the logic, that's the foundation, that's the reason, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So do you notice the logic of Ephesians 2? It's very similar to the logic of what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says to Israel, this ethnic people in the Old Testament, who are a kind of shadow of the people of God to come in the substance of the gospel in the New Testament. He says, Israel, I loved you not because you were lovable, but because I loved you. I didn't see anything in you that I'm responding to. You didn't earn this. It's not justification by your righteousness. It's love because I loved you. It's pure grace. And that's exactly what he says to the people of God, Christians in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. He says, because, why is God rich in mercy? Not because you earned it, not because you came from a particular family, not because you grew up in America, not because your dad was a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or your mama played the piano, but I loved you because I loved you. Now, praise God. 
if your mama plays the piano or your daddy is a deacon. Those can be things that God uses. I'm not scorning those things. But it's not the determinative cause of his love for you. It's because of the free grace, the steadfast love, the chesed of God. And that's what the psalmist is saying that we should be thankful for. Now, why? Why is this, why is this important? Why is this such a big deal? Well, the Bible does something really interesting with gratitude and thankfulness. It doesn't just say that gratitude and thankfulness are sort of an optional thing in the Christian life. It actually links thankfulness and gratitude to our spiritual health. Negatively, negatively speaking, listen to what ingratitude does to people in Paul's perspective in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul says this, verse 21. For although he's speaking generally about humanity, about how the wrath of God has been revealed to all humanity because of our disobedience. And he says, Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, in other words, they could look at creation and understand Him and see Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So notice the consequence of ingratitude of not giving thanks to God is God's giving humanity up over to futile thinking, foolish hearts, and dark hearts. Positively speaking, though, we see why this is so important is because everything exists for the glory of God. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. He says, yet for us, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So you were created for God to bring glory to God. And that's what he goes on to say a couple chapters later. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So he's, he's aligning our hearts with this posture that we should live our lives in the glory of God. He concludes such in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. But again, it's not just a nebulous, ambiguous, unspoken posture of giving glory to God. It should come out of our lives and even tangibly through what we say. That's the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll get to this eventually, maybe in 20. 27 Hebrews chapter 13 chapter that was a joke because I take a little you guys I take a while okay you got it thank you Scotty Hebrews chapter 13 verses 14 and 15 for here we have no listen to this listen to the logic here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come verse 15 here's the conclusion through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So here's the picture I get when I read Hebrews 13, verses 14 and 15. The writer is basically saying, listen, this life is not all that there is. You have not been saved so that you would stay in the earthly city of this life. And that is not unimportant. We want to glorify God here. But it's like we join this caravan 
where we are going to the city that is to come, eternity, the new heavens, the new Jerusalem. And as we are on this caravan, this parade march to that, we are to offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, which is exactly what the psalmist is calling us to do in Psalm 107. So here's just the point I'm making that I want you to see in this, in this passage before we read the rest of it rather quickly is that we are called, it's, it's not just a, a kind of garnish. It's not just, well, you know, I, I want a little salt and pepper on my Christian life today, so I think I'll add some thankfulness. No, no. It's the essence and the substance of the Christian life. It's not optional for us. It's foundational. And here's what we need to know, is that practicing, getting better at, working out our salvation in giving thanks to God for the good news of the gospel will lead us to joy. And not practicing it will put us in spiritual danger. So let's just pause because this really is the main point. Before we get into the next two points, I just want to hammer this home. Is that the psalmist and many passages in the New Testament are specifically calling us to actually speak out joy and thankfulness and gratitude to God for the saving love of the gospel in our lives. And on the backdrop of what we read in Philippians, read in Philippians chapter 2, against the backdrop of a cynical, sarcastic, pessimistic, complaining world, that's what we are called to do. Friends, I think there is a way of living the Christian life. I think we all at times fall into this rut where we get so accustomed to the grace of God that it ceases to amaze us and basically we go through the motions and the psalmist here is calling us out of this spiritual rut. And he's saying, remember what the Lord has done. The context of this psalm is Israel coming back to the Holy Land after their exile, which we have studied in the Minor Prophets as we looked at this fall on Sunday nights, and they're being gathered from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, physically speaking, during that time, about four, five hundred, six hundred years before Christ, and now, even spiritually speaking, all of God's people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from every different circumstance, are being gathered together. And the call is for us not just to just gather and just be people that are waiting until we die and go to heaven, but to give thanks to His name. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then to do this, He gives us four portraits of thankfulness. Okay, so I want, we're going to work our way through verses, 40, verses 4 through 32 rather quickly. So buckle up. But I want you to notice there's four portraits of thankfulness. And I want you to notice a pattern as we work through these four portraits, these four scenes where people get themselves into a mess and God rescues them. And I want you to notice this pattern, and I'm going to do it to you again, so bear with me. This pattern, you see a predicament, a plea, provision, and then praise. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Predicament, plea, 
provision, praise. I want you to see this pattern. Now, these four scenes are not exhaustive. They don't speak to all the ways that God's people get themselves into trouble and that God gets them out and as such they are to give thanks to Him. But they're a kind of picture of the saving grace of the gospel in the life of His people. So let's look at verse, verses 4 through 9. And they all have this similar, it's like a song. Remember, these psalms are poems or songs that were meant to be sung. So this first stanza is about these wanderers. And you'll see these repeated patterns within each of these portraits. The first portrait, wanderers, verse 4. Some wandered in desert uh, wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. There's the predicament. So these are people that have, that have strayed away from God. They've, they've maybe tried to pursue something in the world that they thought would satisfy them, and they find themselves hungry and thirsty, and their soul is fainting. Verse 6, here's the plea. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. And here's the provision. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. God did it. And here's the praise. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. God, we see this pattern, saving the wanderer. The second pattern, verses 10 through 16, again we see this this pattern, this flow of predicament, plea, provision, and praise. In prisoners who have made their own cell and are living in it because of their disobedience. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. That's the predicament. These people have have heard the word of God and they decided to do their own thing. So as a consequence, verse 12, he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. But verse 13, here's the plea. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Here's the provision. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. He didn't tell them to work on it. He did it. And here's the praise, verse 15. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. God does the saving. Here's the third portrait. Fools that have made themselves sick by their sinful ways. Verses 17 through 22. Verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. The picture here is physical, but it represents, I think, spiritual starvation where we're just, we're just rejecting the goodness of God and we starve ourselves because of our sinful ways and we go into folly. That's the predicament. And here's the plea, verse 19, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Here's the provision, verse 20. He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And now here's the praise, verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. 
And here's the final and fourth portrait of thankfulness that we see in verses 23 through 32. It says that some, it's these prideful people that I think get in over their heads. Verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships doing business in the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. So it seems like they started out well. They run some great uh, venture. And then life got overwhelming and they didn't know what to do. They got in over their heads. Maybe they were prideful. Maybe they thought that they could do it all on their own. Maybe they had forgotten the goodness of God in their lives. And life became overwhelming and they reeled and staggered like drunken men about to be shipwrecked by the storms of life. That's their predicament. And here comes the plea, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. And here's the provision. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. He brought them to their desired haven. And finally, here's the praise. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. Before we finish this psalm, I want you to just notice this pattern again. Notice each of the predicaments. They were of their own doing. These people got themselves into these predicaments. But notice the plea. Notice the plea. They cry out to the God, to God. And I want you to notice something about the plea is that God answers the prayers of unworthy people. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that we don't have to make ourselves right enough before God will respond to us, but He answers the prayers of people who have alone gotten themselves into these situations. And notice the provision each and every time. It's the Lord's doing. It's the Lord's doing. The wanderers. He leads them by the straight way. He does it. He brings them back into the city. Those prisoners that made their own prison cell, they cried to the Lord and then, he brought them out of the darkness and the shadow. The fools that made them sick, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And the prideful that got in over their heads, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Friends, what is, what is that a picture of? That's a picture of the Gospel. That we don't make ourselves right but it is the Lord that comes to us. We were dead in our sins, unable to do anything. The Lord comes to us. He lives a perfect life. Listen to this, friends. This is the heart of the gospel. This is, this, all of these are shadows pointing to the provision of Christ in His life, death, and resurrection. He comes. He lives. He takes our place. He bears the wrath of God on the cross. He satisfies it. He extinguishes it. He rises again in victory over sin, death, and the grave. And He makes alive His people and gives them a new heart so that they can trust in Him, so that they can call out to Him and be rescued from their plight. And what's the purpose of all of this? That we would praise God for His steadfast love in our lives. 
Notice, notice the shadow of the gospel in each of these portraits of thankfulness. And then finally, pondering thankfulness. Here now the psalmist turns us to just a a contemplation of the way God works. He's a God who does things unlike how we would do them. He's a God of of reversals. He, He works in ways that seem contrary to us. He does whatever he pleases. Look at verses 33 through 43. This is just a, a now a, a kind of contemplation. He's moved away from a portrait or a picture of reasons that we should praise Him. And he just contemplates how mysterious and unpredictable God's grace is. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert. He springs, springs of water into thirsty ground. A fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil, evil of its inhabitants. So... You know, something that seems to be going well, God eventually is going to bring justice and curse it if they don't honor Him. Verse 35, but yet conversely, He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there He lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By His blessing, they multiply greatly, and He does not let their livestock diminish so in other words something that doesn't seem like it's going well there's a desert there's no pools of water God brings up this fruitful vineyard here and he blesses people verse 39 when they are diminished and brought low through oppression evil and sorrow he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes so in other words people that are punishing their people or leading him poorly he's going to eventually bring them into content and make them wander But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. And then verse 43, here's where we are to ponder. We're called to ponder. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider. Let them think about. Let them contemplate. Let them ponder the steadfast Love of the Lord. So what's the call to us from these last few verses? Is to think about in our lives the steadfast love of the Lord. To ponder a God who does as He pleases and who works not according to the wisdom of the world. A God who reverses, reverses things. And then we can wonder really the greatest reversal of all, the cross itself, that Jesus Jesus, the King who created everything, humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we are, through this psalm, now living in the new covenant, thousands of years later, we are called by this psalm to consider the steadfast love of the Lord, the covenantal, the gospel love of the Lord in our lives, and we are to give thanks. Now friends, let's admit that this is contrary to the spirit of our age. We are suspicious, we are cynical, we complain, we are impatient, and we are a me-now generation. Yesterday, I know, I know this is really hard for you to believe, but um, I had to uh, endure uh, my YouTube TV dragging a little bit because my internet wasn't wasn't uh the wi-fi signal strength wasn't good 
And so, I know, I know, friends, this is hard. I had to, I had to miss a few plays of my beloved University of Southern California Trojans as we trounced Notre Dame last night in the Coliseum in Los Angeles. I made it through. And I'm being silly, friends, but this is the spirit of the age we live in. Where the world has slowly discipled us, almost imperceptibly, to be impatient, complaining, ungrateful people. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, this psalm is like an arrow that is shot across our bow. And saying, no, 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 no. Let the rede- oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And we are to be the people, the redeemed, that say so. So I end with this, two practical ways, two just very simple ways for us to wrestle with and think, think about and ponder in our, look, in our own lives how to grow in thankfulness. One, one, just commit to talk publicly about the grace of God in your life. Commit to speak about how God is and has blessed you, how He has rescued you from your sin. Just let it roll off of your lips. Let it, let it be something that you speak about often and give thanks to your children. You're discipling your children when you speak in this way, when you give thanks to God. Even as it's just a kind of reflex, it helps to, to fight the discipleship of this world and to disciple our children in gratitude. And when we do it in our workplaces or wherever the Lord sends us, if you're in, a, if you're in an infantry battalion, I've been in an infantry battalion, and those tend to be less than grateful places. And you can shine as a light of the world when you're just bringing up the grace of God in your life and you're speaking about how good God has been to you. To you, let the redeemed of the Lord say so as they live their lives in a perverse and wicked generation. Recount the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself and through yourself. Let the the song that we sang, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now am found. Let that be the soundtrack of your life as you live in this world. Talk publicly about the grace of God in your life. Friends, that's one of the reasons whenever we do a baptism here that we ask the person being baptized to prepare their testimony. And we always want to focus not on the person so much, but on the grace of God. And if you've listened to those testimonies, Robert Ward, one of our pastors who oversees the preparation of those testimonies, does a really good job of helping people think about and wording uh, and helping them even write their testimonies. And it's a wonderful display of just preaching the gospel. God has been good. I was lost, but now I am found. Friend, do not undervalue or underestimate the power of that in your life, the effect that it can have on the culture of your home and your family if you just reason and resolve to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So tell, talk publicly about the grace of God in your life. Way number one, way number two. And tell specific people how the Lord has used them to help you. Thank specific people that the Lord has brought into your life to help you. So don't just let sort of thanks just float up in the air. 
but train it on a person and say, I saw this in you. I, there's something in you that I really appreciate. When you did this, when you taught that class, when you helped me with my children, when you gave me that word of encouragement, when you gave me that word of rebuke, the Lord used you. And that's counterculture to this world. We watch each other's lives through social media. We criticize each other. We're so hard on each other. And we present a kind of counterculture to the culture of this world when we look at each other despite our imperfections and we tell one another how the Lord has used them to encourage us. That's a gospel grace. It's an aroma to the world and the Lord uses it for His own glory and our joy. So tell specific people how the Lord has used you. Friends, let's be a people that refuse to have thanksgiving merely be about the origins of America. As thankful as we are about that. But let's lift our eyes for thanksgiving for this time, even nationally, that pagans celebrate, that we heed the word of the Lord to give thanks to Him, for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And we're going to sing a song. And then Springer's going to come up and read a benediction. One practical way of living this out might be just not rushing out of here, but lingering a bit. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you just need to find a corner of the sanctuary. Maybe you need to ask somebody to pray with you. Maybe you need to find somebody to thank Maybe you just need to sing loudly during this last song. Maybe you need to kind of lose yourself a little bit. Forget about yourself and focus on the Lord and give thanks to Him. And you, being the redeemed, saying so as we leave this place. Let me pray. Lord, thank You for this passage. Thank You for this psalm. Lord, I repent of my ingratitude and uh, my complaining and my cynicism and my sarcasm. Lord, it's not befitting of the people of God. And so where that exists in me, Lord, burn it up. If, if my repentance is, the, is, the, is representative of anybody in this room, let that be their prayer as well. Let the fruit of our lips be joy. Let it be thanksgiving. Let our children hear moms and dads that love being saved people. Let the world that we work in and live in and interact with, let them notice a particular kind of otherworldly joy about the people of God. Lord, let Psalm 107 not merely be a sermon in the middle of a series between John and Hebrews, but let it, let it reorient our lives, my life, that I would be more joyful, more thankful, more grateful to you who has redeemed me from the storm. Lord, do this, I pray, for your glory and our good and the witness of the gospel among us. In Jesus' name, amen.